Okay, good. How are you? All right, ready? Are you ready? Good. Some nods. Some people not quite as ready as others. Ready now, Jenny? Yep, good. So, uh, we're on this series, Honour, and Dom gave you a great introduction last week to Honour, and um, I've been looking up some definitions of Honour. Here's one. That which confers distinction or does credit. That which confers distinction or does credit. That's interesting, isn't it? If you honour someone, you confer on them distinction. When I was at university, people used to want to get, you know, their degree with distinction. You could get this. I did a master's degree where <coughs> there was this guy who was very, very, uh, seemed very good throughout the year. And uh, when it came to the results going on the board, there they were, and I got, my, I got my MA, that's fine. And then everyone's looking for his name. His name wasn't up there at all. And then next to it was this little notice, and his name said, we'll be attending a Viva examination. And uh, we all thought, oh, yeah, they're going to interview him to see if they want to award him a distinction. And we're all, you know, we're all thinking, wow, that would be great, wouldn't it? Someone in our year gets a distinction. And uh, when he came out, he looked pretty down, pretty despondent. And what it was, it was an interview to see if they could give him a pass. And they didn't. And so he didn't get his distinction that we all thought, he's bound to, he's a brain box. And all. But somehow he completely messed up. And we couldn't award him the distinction of being head and shoulders above us all. Here's another definition. The esteem due or paid to a worthy person. Gosh, this is old English, isn't it? The esteem due or paid to a worthy person. Someone who's worthy of esteem. Esteem means esteem. It means, um, it means honouring them. Uh, it means, I'm going around in circles. Yeah. When I was at school, in our school, we had prefects who wore gowns. Oh, yes, they swished about the school in their gowns. And um, they kept discipline in the school as well. So they dished out lines to people and they even slippered people. Those were the days, you see, long gone. And uh, I, one day, I became a prefect. Wow. And a certain esteem I expected to be paid to me. I expected a certain level of respect because now I had the robe and the tie and I was a prefect. Whether I was worthy or not didn't come into it. What came into it was that I had been appointed and I wore my gown and um, I marched about school enjoying myself. And one of the things we say, don't we, as we grow older is, don't the policemen look young? 
Don't they look young? Oh, they're just boys, really. And then you think, but they're boys in uniform. They've been given a uniform. Whether they're worthy of it or not is not the point. I think for us in church life, recognising someone's worthiness without a uniform or without an appointment or without any special position is really crucial. It's really crucial we do that, that we recognise each other in their, in their special ways, who a person really is, that we honour one another. And that's the purpose of this series, is to help us to get this culture of honour into our life as a church. We probably already are, to some extent, doing that, but we really want to improve and make it a feature. That's why we've asked you, please, not to do any more golf clapping. You know, let's, let's really encourage people. They come up and, and do something at the front or say something to you. Let us encourage them. See? You can, you can shout and, and whistle at Dom as he comes up to the mic and drops it. You can just go, yeah! Wonderful dropper of mics. Go to the top of the class for dropping mics. Yeah! We need to get into honouring. And so today, the title is Honouring Who Benefits? If you've got your little preaching card, you'll know this already. This is the title for today's talk, Who Benefits? Who Benefits? Well, the first point I want to make is that it's the person who receives it. The person receiving honour benefits. That's the obvious one, isn't it? It raises their self-esteem. They think, oh, oh, someone's recognised that I'm good at that. When it comes to the end of this meeting, you can go and have a cup of tea and coffee and you can say, this is excellent coffee. Can't you? You can say, what a wonderful cup of tea. How well you made the tea. And they'll look at you and think, you're mad. You're buttering me up. <laughs> but seriously, when people receive honour, it does them good. Do you want to do other people good? Give them honour. It raises their self-esteem. It guides their self-assessment. You know, you can go through life wondering, what is my role in the church? What, what do, role do I play? Where do I fit? What brick am I? What stone am I in the wall of the church? You can, but if people encourage you and honour you and say, you did that really well, you begin to shape up. This is how other people see me. This is how other people uh, look at me. They see these aspects of my life and it helps you to have self-esteem. Yeah, I know that that is how God's made me. I know that is the gift God's given me. And it gets reinforced by people honouring you in that gift. It might be hospitality. It might even be, as we've just been doing, giving. It might be the gift of giving. And I want to assure you, I don't know what you give. 
because in Britain we don't talk about that sort of thing. There's only a couple of people in this church who know what you give because they have to count it and bank it. And so that's how it stays. But, you know, we can, we can pick up that some people are generous, can't we? You know, you, you can pick it up. Encourage them in their generosity. Many people need that encouragement. In fact, I would say we all need that encouragement, don't we? Hands up those who don't need encouragement. Are you sure you're being honest with me now? We all need encouragement because it helps us and guides our self-assessment. You might say, well, surely God tells you what your gift is. Yes, maybe. But isn't it great when other people recognize it? Doesn't it help you? God may have recognized it a long time ago, put it in you, made you who you are, uh, but it's great when other people do. So it raises our self-esteem and it guides our self-assessment when people honor us. When people give us distinction in a particular area. Biblically, there's an interesting phrase in Proverbs 15, verse 33. Proverbs 15, verse 33. Humility comes before honour. Isn't that interesting? Humility comes before honour. Romans 12, verse 3. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment and according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So when we're thinking about ourselves, Paul's saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You might think, well, that's the opposite then. Paul's saying, you know, don't get honoured, don't get big-headed, don't get... No, what, what he's saying is, have a sober judgment. Don't think more highly. For British people, you'd probably say, don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought. Caricaturing the British. In similar vein, we could caricature the Americans and say, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. We car caricature nations and in that way sometimes, wrongly, shouldn't really do it. But you know what I'm saying? Paul here is trying to get you to a position where you know who you are and what your role is, what your gift is. And you know that because God has assigned faith to you in that area. He says here, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. And humility comes before honour because when people start to honour you in a particular area, God wants you to be in a position of humility already. He wants you already to know that it's not down to you. It's down to the gift of God in you and the faith God has given you to operate in that gift. You know, sometimes through my life, I've wanted to be other people 
Have you ever done that? You've looked at someone else and thought, I'd like to be like them. For some people, it's, you know, pop stars or, you know, something like that. Someone like that. For me, going through, I've sometimes, oh, I'd love to be Terry Virgo. I'd love to be able to preach like Terry Virgo. Has anyone else thought that? Am I the only one who would love to preach like Terry Virgo? Gosh. You're very unambitious, you lot, aren't you? So, you know, then, you know, you see someone else doing something else, someone leading worship, saying, I'd love to be able to lead worship like that. And in no time at all, what you're focusing on is you, not them. So you don't honour them because you're focusing on you. And you're getting into a pickle with jealousy maybe. You know, it can be very difficult sometimes to shake that off. But what Paul is saying here is, let's be people with a sober judgment. I love that phrase, sober judgment. What's a drunken judgment? That's what I want to know. What is a drunken judgment? We've just been on holiday in France for five days and this week. It's just gone. And um, yes, there's quite a lot of cheap wine. And Pinot. We rediscovered Pinot. And um, that's an interesting drink. It's, it's, a, it's a sort of an aperitif. And uh, we used to love it and hadn't drunk it for years and years and years. And we went to the area where it's made and, we, yeah. But I can assure you that at no time did I get drunk. It's a bit deadly in here today. That was a joke. <laughs> I don't, I it's, straining, it's straining me at the moment. I'm straining, so laugh for me. Build my self-esteem on the preaching front by honouring my jokes. Okay. A sober what is a, a sober judgment? It's a right judgment simply, isn't it? Instead of a wrong judgment. Drunken people judge wrongly. They judge distances wrongly. They judge shapes and things. They, ju they judge everything wrong, don't they? They get it all wrong stagger about and worse if they're behind the wheel of a car but what we need is an accurate judgment of ourselves <clears throat> and where we are on that spectrum if I'm thinking hey I'm my one of my gifts that God has given me is the ability to preach which is not on display today then that was another joke <laughs> then, um, you know, if, if, if I've got that, that's great. I need to have a sober judgment that I'm not a Terry Virgo. I'm not a C.J. Mahaney. It's another guy that I really admire in his preaching gift. There's no comparison between us, really. But I know God's given me faith for my role. I know God's given me faith for what I can do. That's the thing. Has God given you faith for what you can do? 
And the big contributor to that, that we can all make, is to encourage that person in that gift and to honour them for it. You know, some years ago, I, I was in Sidcup Church on the eldership team there. We had this magnificent group of men, including me. And, uh, oh, we were so complimentary to each other in gift. It was a wonderful experience. So if there was a, I knew, if there was a pastoral problem, I got this whiz kid pastor sitting beside me who would not only be able to deal with it, but would want to deal with it as well. Who would want to help? Who would want, who'd be keen to get stuck in to this pastoral issue? He would want to help the person who needed help so much that he would write it down in his notebook. And after a, a meeting, within an hour or two, he'd been, he, he'd have been on the phone already, you know. He would already be started. He, he, he was so, and so gracious and so kind. He was a wonderful man. He's gone on to plant several churches since then, which I haven't done. But I honour him for his pastoral gift. Because I didn't have it. I needed it. As part of the team, he needed to be there with me. Otherwise, we would not be a fully rounded team. There was another guy on the team who was an evangelist. And uh, he was a classic evangelist. You know, he thought the best thing to do with his day off was to go down the shopping precinct and see if he could convert someone. Not even a tissue, I don't know what he's doing. What is it today? So um, he, he would go on his day off and sit with his wife in the shopping area and see if they could get someone to come sit next to them and they could start a conversation and see if they could get that person through to becoming a Christian. That was his day off idea. But we could honour him, and I could honour him, because I'm not like that. He is. You're wondering what I am like now, aren't you? You're wondering, well, gosh, what did I, how did I fit in this group? But we need the encouragement of others in the areas in which we know you have that feeling, yeah I, can, I, yeah, I know I can do this. You know, when people congratulate people, they'll say, that was well done. Well done, Paul, for the way you led worship this morning. Well done, Paul. That was really helpful to me. That was so good. Paul might turn around and say, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And you, you know, you think, what? I thought it was you standing there. I really, really felt it was you. You know, my eyes said it was Paul standing there. See, we must be able to receive properly with sober judgment as well. Isn't it good to receive properly? You know, if someone says to you, well done for cooking those burgers... What do you want to say? Oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. No, no, no. You can say, thank you. 
I've been encouraged by your encouragement. Now, I don't know why Dom's put me up here to, uh, to do this section. Oh, I put myself up here to do this section. That's right, I decided. Um, so, I don't know why, because... Oh, I do know why. I'm notoriously bad at this. So, I'm preaching to myself as well as to you lot today because I'm horrendously bad at this. I think it in my head. I'll always think it, and I'll rarely say it. See, so it goes into my head. Oh, that was well done. I, yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that, or whatever. And then I would just walk away and not take the time or make the effort to speak to someone and say, well done, that was good. Of course, when I finish preaching, I like people to say to me, well done. So I'm an utter hypocrite. But aren't we all a bit like that? It's easy to get into rushing on to the next thing and not doing the complimentary thing, the encouragement thing, the honouring thing, to honour one another. Because everyone is worthy of honour. Why? Because everyone has received salvation from Jesus Christ. Everyone who's received salvation for Jesus, from Jesus Christ is honoured by God. You're distinctive to him. And so let us look for those distinctions and distinctivenesses in each other that we can encourage. Okay, I want to move on to a biblical example now. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Samuel 24, we'll have a look at 1 Samuel 24 and see a biblical example that I hope we'll draw some lessons from. This is a story of David and Saul. You remember that... Um, Samuel anointed David to be king because Saul was making a mess of it. And uh, Saul had gone from being a good guy to an insecure guy who reached for the wrong solutions, who made mistakes time and time again. Um, but, and David was anointed by Samuel to be king in his place. And there was pro prophecy over him and so on. Uh, but Saul instead of his earlier uh, honouring of David, got to the point where he was really getting cross and really feeling threatened by David. And so he finished up chasing David around the countryside, trying to kill him. And they'd have little sorties out from the capital with a whole load of troops. And they, where they heard David was latest, they'd go over there, try and find him, try and kill him. Then they'd hear, oh, he's gone over here. So Saul spent a lot of his time chasing around the countryside trying to kill David. And David had got some good men around with him. They joined him and they said, we're for you, David. We'll stand with you. And David had this problem then that he didn't want to ferment rebellion, but he did want to have people around him who would help to keep him safe and uh, help to stand with him. And anyway, on one of these... Um, occasions, David's in this cave. David and his men are hiding from Saul. Saul and his posse have arrived. See? And David is at the back of a cave with his mighty men. 
crawling around in the back of a cave to try and not to be seen. And a really famous, new, uh, famous um, Sunday school story now begins. All Sunday school kids know this story. It's when Saul went into the cave to do a wee. To relieve himself, as the Bible says. And he went into the cave at Wild Goats Rocks. I like that name, Wild Goats Rocks. So are you in 1 Samuel 24? You can see it. One Samuel, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the Wild Goats Rocks. He came to the sheepfold, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him because he cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. See, here we are at Wild Goat's Rocks and in a cave. And David has this opportunity to attack Saul, to kill Saul, but he doesn't do it. He's egged on to do it, and it's like he seems to realize as he stealthily creeps towards Saul, he must have been thinking, What am I doing? Saul remains the king. I must honour the king. I must leave it in God's hands. Some uncertainty must have been going through his head like that, based on his desire to keep on honouring Saul and his desire to remain humble. He could have got very, at any point he could have really said to the nation, come on nation, look, I've been anointed to take over from Saul, let's do it. But he never did. And even when he got to this point, humility came before honour for David. The honour that he knew was due to him would come. And he was prepared to let it come in God's timing, not his. He didn't do what Saul himself did. Saul himself took an action instead of waiting for God. And it's one of the reasons why Saul lost the kingdom, because he didn't wait for the Lord. And he tried to organise it himself. And David gets to this point where he is just about to kill Saul, and he, it's like he's, he goes, and backs off and slices this little corner of his robe. 
David chose to continue to honour Saul even though he knew that God had said he would take over from Saul. And his mighty men said, go on, go on, go on. And David persuaded his men and said, no, I'm not going to do this dishonouring thing. It will be a sin. I will not dishonour Saul's position. He is still the king. Interesting, eh? So what happens next? After David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. You can imagine it, can't you? Saul, there he is. He's zipped up his flies and he's gone out of the cave feeling a lot better. I know this feeling very well. You feel a lot better. There's relief. He was relieved. And he went, anyway, let's go on. He went out of the cave and he's, he's, he's walking back to his men, you know, adjusting his tunic and everything. And suddenly this voice behind him cries out, a voice he knows so well, the voice of David. My Lord. He doesn't call out, hey, Saul. He calls out, my Lord. He honours Saul, even in calling out at this moment. Isn't that good? Right. Page two. And so he calls out, my Lord, my King. He reinforces it. And then later he says this. Behold, this day... Your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. I will honour him, he says. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. Once again, note what he says. See, my father... He doesn't say, look at this, Saul, you idiot. I could have had you in there. <laughs> no, he bows to the ground and he says, my father, look. He still honours him with these words. The way he speaks to him is honouring him. And for us, the way we speak to people should honour who they are. The way we think about people should honour who they are. The way you think about people in this church should honour who they are. You should be able to say to people with absolute honesty that you love to see them operating in their gift. You love to see what they can do. He says, my Lord my king, my father. And he, re, re, and he recaps the story and uh, tells him what's happened. And he says, may the Lord judge between me and you, may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. 
May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. <clears throat> as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is that your voice, my son David? And he echoes his father-son relationship. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. And you've declared this day how you've dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemies, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of the father's, my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is quite an amazing little story, isn't it? Don't you think that's an amazing story? As Saul realises who it is and he weeps. Why do you think he weeps? Because he realises the mess he's in. The mess of dishonouring that has become his life. And he realises the purity of David and he calls out on God to bless David. And there's this complete change. The irony is, as David tries to honour Saul, Saul then turns around and honours him and says, surely I know God is anointing you to be king. And David honours Saul and Saul sees the future, knows what God is going to do and weeps for himself and for his relationship with David and the mess that it's all become and then says to, says to God, bless, God bless you, David. God bless you. Of course, things didn't stay like that. But what, there was this moment when Saul honoured David because David had honoured Saul. So what do we learn from this? That there is an incredible strength in us to honour one another, to ask God's blessing on each other, to say, I see what the Lord is doing with you. God bless you. I see what God's anointing you for. I can see it in you. God bless you. See, David stayed humble and blessed Saul. He didn't rush to exert himself or his position or who he was. He did what in the New Testament Paul says is 
considering one another, considering one another better than yourself. And so, so David considers Saul better than himself. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed, my father, my Lord, my king. That's who you are. And Saul turns around and says, yes, but I see in you, David, what God is doing. You are the future. So who benefits? They both benefited. In this, this chapter, in this moment of history, they both benefited from honouring each other. So finally... We've done who benefits, who receives honour, and we looked at David and Saul, and who benefits, thirdly, those who give honour. And in the New Testament, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and this famous bit in chapter 2. Let me read this to you. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Whoa, that's a big vision for a church, eh? Isn't that a tremendous vision for what a church should be like? Encouraging in Christ, comforting each other in love, participating in the spirit, affection, sympathy. Complete my joy, he says by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he gets on to this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Again, see the humility coming in again. In humility, consider others better than yourself or more significant than yourself rather. Is this a recipe for being ever so humble? So humble that you sort of disappear? No? That's not what he's saying. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. If we give honour to others and if we give honour freely and unbegrudgingly, we'll be fulfilling these verses. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And looking not just to your own interests, not saying forget your own interests, he's saying looking to others' interests as well as your own. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, just being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him. If we give honour to people, unbegrudgingly, happily, because we're not in a position of jealousy or rivalry, because we're not so puffed up with our own self-importance. If we can do that, this is what happens. It focuses us on looking for the good things in other people. You can't honour someone if you can't see something to honour. God has chosen them, as I said before. Therefore, everyone in this room is honoured by God. You're all honoured by God in the same way as each other. We're we're all honoured by God. Surely there must be something you can say about someone that honours them because God honours them. Saul said, yeah, you're going to be anointed as king. I know this is going to happen. You will establish your throne in Israel. It was an honouring that came from his understanding and came from his, this instant ability at that moment to see with humility what the future was. So it forces us to look at the good things. It forces us also to acknowledge God's hand on them in their gifting. It encouraged them to do better things by their gifting. If you honour someone, it's an encouragement to them. And they think, oh, well, I could, I could do even better. I could, I could reach for more faith in this area. If you say, wow, that was a tremendous word of knowledge you had for that person, that was extraordinary. Well done. That, that person goes away and thinks, wow, yeah, I could do that again. I could ask God to give me something again. This is what God is using me for. It encourages one another to do better. It removes jealousy and replaces it with rejoicing. I don't know how much rejoicing Saul did as he left that meeting with David. But right at the root and heart of his problem was his jealousy of David. And in this moment, in this chapter, he puts that aside to bless David. Wouldn't it be great if we had a church without any conceit and without any jealousy or rivalry? Wouldn't that be wonderful? How close are we to that? You might think we're fairly close. Probably we are. But we could do better, couldn't we? Let's consider one another better, more significant than ourselves. And it binds us together in the family of the church as well. That's what he's saying right at the beginning. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any love, any all these things that I see in the Philippian church, I see this happening around me, in the Philippian church. This is what you are like as a church, but there is this to aim for yet more. Consider others. Look to them. 
say well done. That was a real encouragement to me. Can I encourage you to encourage others? And you can say to me, very truly, you can say to me, you hypocrite. When did you last encourage someone? It's got to go from my head to my mouth. It's like what I feel inside, you know? The problem of my resting faith. When my resting faith rests, I look as if I'm angry. And I'm not angry. And new people to this church sometimes take quite a while to get used to that idea. Sometimes other people are very helpful and they say, he's really nice, really. Which is very encouraging and helpful. So I've got to continue to work at encouraging you guys. I'm going to keep trying to remember what I thought in my head and let it out of my mouth. Will you join me in that? I can see that after the, uh, the end of this meeting, there's going to be a riot <laughs> as we all try and compliment one another on something. Oh, I like your socks. Oh, thank you. I am in the Ministry of Socks. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we all benefit when encouragement and honour is all around us. Thank you, Lord, that we receive the benefit of others' encouragement and we receive the benefit of what it does to our character when we encourage. Thank you, Lord, that everyone benefits. So help us, Lord, to spread honour and encouragement all the time in this church. Amen.